welcome to the Quietest Moments podcast. I am your host, Sherry Homiyun Myers, and this is a show that's really dedicated to those on a journey of self-discovery and inner peace. My show is all about the quiet moments in life and what have been some of those quiet moments that people have experienced. What have they taught them? The lessons, the insights. There is so much we can learn in the quiet moments of life if we just listen. So this is going to be the type of show that's going to expand your mind in so many different ways and is really going to help facilitate more of your growth on your own personal self-discovery journey. So I say buckle up hit the follow button and enjoy the ride and welcome to the quietest moments. Okay guys, so I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest who is Rob Sinclair. And Rob is based out in Toronto, Canada. He's a transformational leadership and team performance coach. What I love is you learn all about Rob on this episode, and he's so down to earth and so brilliant. And what I also loved is that you learn about some of the things that he's personally had to grow through. And that includes over 25 years of martial arts experience. And what he does today is he takes all of that experience and he blends it with the principles of servant leadership, which I absolutely love. And he helps people and really empowers people to serve at their highest capacity. So I'm so excited to introduce you to my special guest, Rob Sinclair. All right, Rob, I'm so excited to have you on the Quietest Moments podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. So happy to be here, Sherry. Good, good. So I'm super curious. I love to find out a little bit about, you know, your journey to where you are today. Maybe you could take us on that journey. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, uh, you know, I'll look to you to sort of guide if we're, uh, if you want to spread things out and for me to elaborate, or if I'm going on too long, please jump in. Um, so where I'll start with maybe where I am today, I, uh, I do some work with leaders and teams. Um, we're bringing sort of the human and ecosystemic perspective into leadership in uh, many types of organizations, but uh, that's the primary focus right now. And I'm happy to say a little more about that later, but I got here by way of a, a non-direct path. You know, they say we live our lives forward and understand them backwards. So um, it makes sense looking back, but at the time it felt kind of all over the place and, you know, continues to when I look forward. But up until now, um, I grew up in the martial arts. Uh, I was very fortunate to, my parents bought me a karate lesson when I was nine years old. And that started a journey for me that lasted about 25 years. Um, was a big part of my life. Um, and despite having gone to university, I, you know, like many people, maybe I came out well qualified to wait tables. Um, and so I went back into the martial arts. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, um, bought in as a partner and started an entrepreneurial journey, started to learn about small business and everything from sales and marketing to um, business management and well, customer service. I was part of a group um, that had some phenomenal entrepreneurs in it, and I got to learn from them from a fairly young age. Had a couple of great mentors, and that started my entrepreneurial journey. And that took me through a few different types of businesses. First, the martial arts school, and then doing some 
sort of consulting, helping other fitness businesses with their marketing and their sales and, you know, their sort of business development. Um, I owned a few CrossFit gyms. I, uh, that was a big part of my path. Um, and I had a small, you know, four hour work week foray that had me, uh, build a, a small digital marketing agency. Um, but ultimately for me, you know, since I was, uh, I started teaching in martial arts when I was about 15 and, uh, there's a thread that's been kind of woven through this whole journey for me about, you know, helping others realize their potential in service of something greater than them. And, you know, early on that expression was a lot more egotistical. It was about high performance. It was about, you know, achievement and it was about realizing a person's potential and mine included. And then eventually the question became sort of like, for what? Um, and this subtle, but sort of pervasive sense that that wasn't the whole picture, um, that we're meant to sort of step into our, our full expression on behalf of something greater than us to be in service of something greater than us, not just so we can have our own fun and satisfy our own ends. However great those things are as well. So that led me into the world of professional coaching. Um, and I found I had a, a knack for that. I found I, uh, I felt very much at home in that work in a way that most of my other path had sort of something was a little bit missing. Um, like parts of me weren't being completely used. Um, so in an effort to walk my own talk and continue to realize my full expression, um, I moved into the world of professional coaching and then found this leadership thread. And what I didn't realize was that that had been present for me all along that leadership lessons began for me. And I, you know, I've done a, I've done a talk a few times about, the leadership lessons that I was taught in my first karate lesson when I was nine years old and, uh, and what I took away from that and how it's informed and guided me along the way. And, you know, I've gone a lot deeper into that world in the last few years and um, I consider myself one of those lucky people who gets to do what they're passionate about and hopefully make a difference doing every day. So that's how we got here, at least in a, in an initial scope. I love it. I love listening to your story. There's, and I want to take us back to something you said uh, earlier on, where in the beginning you felt all over the place. And something I imagined in the moment was folks that are overwhelmed and maybe they haven't found a discipline like martial arts. You know, what might you recommend to that person who's just feeling like they are all over the place, completely overwhelmed, they have no outlet? You know, where did you start? Like how, I know maybe you were younger, but what did that initial journey look like? Yeah, brilliant. I think I, it wasn't until fairly recently that I've begun to really appreciate what having a physical discipline gave me, what, what that meant for me, what that opened up for me. Uh, you know, like many of us, I have a very busy mind. I have a very critical inner mind, uh, inner monologue. And up until recently, I didn't realize just how much moving the physical body and being challenged physically um, in complex and dynamic ways was one of the only things that got me out of my head and got me present to what was really happening in a given moment. And that was such a gift. So, you know, I have a, a slight bias towards physical practices, you know, and I heard something brilliantly put recently about, you know, the root of the word discipline is about being a disciple. It's about being devoted to something devoted to a practice of some kind on behalf of something. So, you know, it's not necessarily about what hobby do you need to take up? 
but what can you commit yourself to practicing that might open some of these things up? And for me, the body is absolutely a gateway out of stress back to the present moment. And that will help you sort of still or calm the mind so you can hear the whispers of what life is asking you to step into next. Mm, I love that. I even think of the quiet moments where you just learn so much, the yeah. sense of stillness. And I imagine you, as you were talking, I think of you, it's just even just people in general, just stagnant and you are at home, but you don't feel at home. Like your body might be home, but your mind is someplace else. And yeah. when you think about, you know, how moving got your body back to the present place, like what, what is that journey through being present? What has that been like for you? Like, has that come just easily to you? Do you have any practices or what's that like? <laughs> yeah, easily, definitely not easily. Uh, and the journey continues very much so. You know, I find in the, the circumstance we find ourselves in right now, this is a, definitely a collective invitation, but I'm even experiencing it as an individual invitation to not have some of my familiar distractions of running around or going from place to place or, you know, going out and seeing people or doing things, driving around, like the, all of these things that make us feel perhaps busy or productive are often escapes for what's really happening for us. And it's only when we sit still and, you know, be with whatever's present that we can actually experience what's going on and then move forward. So it's ironic. We're doing all this running around, but often it's to avoid what's actually present. And that keeps us trapped in perpetuating the past. And it's only by learning to get quiet. And, you know, I'm happy to share some of the practices and things like that, but the, the idea that we can only really move forward by being fully present is a theme that's very much true for me these days. And, you know, so I do everything from uh, still the physical body practices, the, you know, whether that's going for a run, whether that's, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of some yoga type stretching in the morning, just to get present into my body. Uh, some really basic Tai Chi. I, I grew up in more of the, in the more harsh or more, um, combative arts, but learning the softer styles uh, now is again, a window for me into not escaping the present moment, but actually going deeper into it. Um, but for me, anything that gets me aware, even something as simple as, you know, I follow the work of Doug Silsby, who's you know, author, author of a few books, um, presence-based coaching, presence-based leadership. Um, and he talks about even just a centering practice where, you know, you find yourself sitting or standing and think about the three dimensions that you occupy, you know, first getting long and tall as if your top of your head is being pulled up towards the sky with a string and your feet are anchored and magnetized to the ground. You're looking at the length of your body and then the width of your body, stretching your arms out side to side and sort of rotating and realizing the physical space you take up and then front to back, expanding your chest and reaching out in front and even imagining you have a tail sort of behind you and supporting from behind that, really getting a felt sense of the three-dimensional space that you take up is one quick hack into a more present focused awareness. And then, you know, breathing techniques I find are phenomenal. I follow another teacher named Thomas Hubel, who is, uh, you know, sort of modern day mystic and really interesting guy doing some incredible work in his own right. But, you know, one of his principles is the breath is a rhythm that walks with us wherever we go, that it is a, window into the present anytime we want the breath 
is there and reminds me, wait, am I inhaling? Am I exhaling? Am I in the pause between the exhale before the next inhale starts? Or I'm in the pause at the end of an inhale before the exhale begins. And every moment that is progressively happening. And that can be my, my quick window back into where am I now? What am I actually experiencing? Instead of being up in my head and abstracting either past into what I should have done or forward into what I need to do. Um, so those are just a few that, that work well for me, all of which I would recommend. Yeah, I love those. I love, they remind me of, there's so many different mindfulness techniques. I even saw one this morning by a gentleman out in India, I think, Sagura, something like that. Such a beautiful man and was teaching, yeah. yeah, he was teaching a technique with the eyes and he'd say like, you know, and he was directing, it was almost like a guided meditation, but I loved it. And I'm like, he did it. And he says, I'm going to do this and teach this in two and three minutes. And I want you to do it from 12 to 22 minutes. Mm. And it's a practice. And I, I love learning about different practices and hearing yours. And the thought that comes up for me next is, you know, when did personal development come, become important to you? Mm, great question. Um, and I want to sort of tie it back to what you just said about practice, because I love, I think the importance of that word in the culture that we live in today is, is underestimated. So the, the personal development world for me, again, started in the martial arts. I had a, a mentor, my original instructor who taught me that first lesson and then was a, a dear friend and mentor of mine for many years to follow, um, who really gave me a passion for, you know, we're capable of more. One of the little phrases he had me say in that first lesson, you know, how well can you do? And the answer was better than I think I can. And always followed by sir, because in the martial arts, everybody's, you know, it's all about respect, sir and ma'am. And, um, but better than I think I can became the mantra. There's always more I'm capable of. And so in what way am I growing today? And, you know, I will say there's both, uh, there's the natural side to that, that all of us are evolving constantly, that life wants us to grow and learn and evolve and unfold ever more. There's also the dark side of that that can become very shame-based. I must change. I'm not good enough where I am, so I need to get better. And I think consciously orienting around knowing when the shadow's at play and knowing when you're actually doing development work because you're naturally wanting to express more of you, that distinction uh, itself can be a huge influence in people's lives for, you know, am I growing because I feel like I'm not good enough? Or am I growing because there's more of me that wants to come alive? Um, and I think the self-help, self-development culture often preys on the former uh, and doesn't do enough to honor the shadow that could be driving it rather than you know, getting in touch with who do I want to become? Who am I becoming? Not in what ways am I insufficient that I need to grow into so that I'm not feeling bad about myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what I love about the word practice, I want to circle back to that is, you know, we live in a performance culture that is all about how am I looking? How well did I do? You know, there's a joke in the work that we do with organizations that people have two jobs. They have the job they've been hired to do. And then they have this second job that's all about looking like they're good at their job. And they spend about 50% of their energy covering their tracks, you know, doing all the politicking around the office just to make sure people don't think they're bad at their job or to make people think they're better at their job than they actually are. But the politics of this performance culture to appear as though, you know, we are better than we are or appear as though 
you know, we know more or that we have all the answers or that we've got it all figured out, whatever it might be, whatever the expression is. And the contrast to that with a practice where the very nature of it is that we're looking for the edge of our capabilities, that no practice session is actually completed unless I've made some mistakes. We're in contrast to performance where we can't make any, you know, and being in self-development as a practice, being in physical practices as a practice, not so that I can do it perfectly, but where is the growing edge? Where can I do a little more? Where is their mastery still to be found? And, you know, I would argue there always is. So I love the distinction of really bringing these things into our lives as practices, not as performances. I love that. I love that. I also think of when we are feeling like we're an expert at something, we are really closing off our options. And maybe it's on an energetic level, but I think when you enter a situation with almost like a beginner's mind, an open mind, an open cup, whatever type of visual comes to mind, right? But there's some room in there. It's not totally full you still expect to learn and you look for ways to grow. And then resources become available because your, your thought is in that direction of being resourceful versus the experts. Sometimes we're like, oh, I've learned everything. And mm -hmm. that attitude is, you know, it's not powerful, it's powerless. Mm -hmm. But so many things you mentioned, I mean, I want to take us back again. And then I, I promise I'm going to bring us back to these lessons. But you mentioned the inner dialogue of you know the critical mind and i know there's a lot of people that are dealing with that right now they've potentially slowed down and now they're left with this critical mind that's taking them on a journey like what what would be some of your guidance that has helped you and even through some of the martial arts work and weaving in some of those lessons that you've learned if you could expand on that i'd love to learn yeah absolutely um is such a key piece and I'm gonna, you know, I'll zoom out before zooming in, but this ties so nicely into, you know, we do leadership development work. We help leaders and teams be more effective in their ability to serve the people and the organizations that they're, that they're serving. And so much of what underpins that work is adult cognitive development, is adult psychological development work. And there's a framework uh, by a man named, uh, it was sort of pioneered by a man named Bob Keegan out of the uh, education school at Harvard um, has some great books. Um, I would highly recommend him as a resource if, if anyone's interested in exploring this further. But uh, the whole idea is that we're continuing to grow as adults through multiple definable structures of mind, of, of consciousness, if you will, of complexity of mind. And that our early adult development, you know, there are things that happen between about the ages of eight and 13. Those boundaries are pretty malleable. Um, where we learn patterns of behavior so that we can succeed in the world in which we exist. So that's in a family system, that's in a, you know, on a sports team, you know, succeeding at school. Um, we expand that then to our early professional lives where the world around us is dictating what's good and what's not good. And we learn to behave into those structures and we develop patterns in order to do that. And most of them are safety driven. So what I'm driven by at my core as I'm growing is how do I stay safe, secure, and develop the approval of the world around me? And anything that might threaten those things, I need to not do, or I need to develop strategies in order to reclaim that sense of safety, security, or approval. 
And so the inner dialogue that can be overly critical when we're in our adult lives, where all of a sudden we're not in those scenarios, but this voice is on overdrive, the first step is realizing it that it's served you. You know, there's this metaphor of the, the loyal soldier, you know, instead of demonizing this voice and calling it a, you know, an inner critic or a saboteur or these sort of, we villainize this aspect of ourselves when really it was a hero for us and how different it would be if we treated it that way, if we embrace it for the job it's trying to do that isn't needed anymore. You know, there was a story about, uh, you know, soldiers in the war who were off on an island who, you know, for 20 years continued to defend the villages and to, you know, vigilantly patrol. And, you know, when they were eventually found and told the war was over, there was two options. You can make them feel ridiculous for the last, you know, however many years they'd spent when the war was over and they were still fighting, or you can bring them back to a hero's welcome and reassign them a new job. And that's some of the inner work you know, that we do with this adult development is how do we invite that part of ourselves? How do we acknowledge the part of ourselves and what it's given us, what it's got us over the course of our life? And that may just be staying safe. That may be navigating really complex or traumatic situations. It kept us going. So we want to say thank you to that part of ourselves. And we don't need it to do that job that way anymore. So it's about shifting our relationship with that voice rather than what I find a lot of the, you know, common advice is about how do you still it? How do you disengage it? How do you calm it? How do you get rid of it? It's more about how do we evolve the relationship that we have with that part of us that's just trying to keep us safe, that ultimately becomes the thing that's holding us back, keeping us small. And we start feeling like we're held back, we're restricted, we're cut off by this voice instead of being protected by it. So it's a bit of a rant and a tangent, but I could talk a long, for a long, long time about that inner voice. No, I love it. I love listening to how you articulate the inner voice. And it's, it's, I think of it almost, and I've described this to people, of a child. And if we can visualize a child with parents, right? So it's got two parents. And then imagine those parents just disappear. Mm -hmm. And the child is just there. And imagine the feeling of fear that is running through this child's body. That to me is how most of society is living today, unsure of where home is. And they're trying to find meaning and trying to find power in money and outside things and statuses and jobs. And you still see how many folks walk around empty and what's so brilliant to me is personal development is where you get in touch with that sense of self. And I think as leaders, and when you talk about leadership development, you help people get in touch with that sense of self and you show them the ways that they can think bigger. Like I think back to that lesson that, um, you know, one of your mentors had told you about and, you know, it's so, it, it's so powerful like we can be driven by this sense of motivation because we feel the sense of lack, the deficiency, right? Or there's that sense of growth motivation and how well can I do better than I think I can? Mm -hmm. Better than I, you are, you know, you know you can do better. So there's a growth there. Even though you're going to go through pain, there's progress and growth there. Maybe you can tell us a little bit. I'd love to learn, Rob, about like, you know, where have you personally had to really grow and go through that journey? Mm. Yeah, happy to share. I mean, there's lots of 
<laughs> there's lots of ways it's happening every day, but uh, I'll take one of, you know, maybe one of the themes. Um, so we work with a tool this, uh, that is a leadership effectiveness assessment that, you know, maps where a person might be on this adult development spectrum and what degree they're operating from some of these unconscious patterns that are fear-based that have us trying to reestablish a sense of identity through safety, security, and approval versus living from a, what we would call more of a self-authoring place. So rather than the socialized mind that's trying to behave into the rules around it from a place of fear, we're living from a place of self-authoring where we're aware of those things and we're driven from more of an internal compass about values, about vision, about purpose, and about serving others. And that journey is about first learning. You know, Ironically, those are the things that helped us succeed as an individual contributor. But when we move into a leadership role, what limits our effectiveness in translating our impact through others is our own personal work, is our own personal journey. And so it wasn't until when I first did one of these profiles as a part of getting certified in the methodology that I realized that the things I thought I was doing to help or protect the people around me by taking over, by being a bit of a perfectionist, by making sure everything we did, you know, we did more, we did better, actually disempowered some of the people around me because unconsciously I made them feel like if we don't do those things, we're not good enough. Or if they're not good enough, I'll take over and I'll just do it. So they must not be good enough. And I didn't realize that these things that had served me well as, a, as an individual were now the thing getting in my way of my effectiveness as a leader. And that sort of blew my mind open. And, and it started this whole other journey of, wow, if I'm going to be really effective working beyond myself, I have to have a whole different relationship with myself. And the journey of understanding where those mechanisms got built for me, you know, I won't go into too much depth, but I'm in the middle of three boys, you know, it's a fairly competitive environment. I had great loving parents. I have great loving parents. They're amazing. But along my journey, I internalized the idea that if I didn't do it well, and if I didn't do more, then I wasn't safe. I could be criticized. So as long as I did more and did it better, I would be safe. And that fed an achievement and then, you know, dropped me into an achievement oriented vehicle and culture like the martial arts, which is fantastic. There's always somewhere more I can be. There's always somewhere more I can go. And then, you know, I, I did fairly well, you know, as a, as a musician, I did well in school. I did well professionally, you know, reasonably well as an entrepreneur, the, it just got fed and fed and fed until I hit this wall where now the thing that worked for me was the thing getting in my way. And having to look back at those times and say, you know, what was that little boy so scared of? Having to actually, like you say, sort of be in touch with the, the five or six-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever the age is that learned that if I didn't do it perfectly, it was too scary to be with. That being criticized felt like, being, like I was going to die. And I have to develop a different relationship with that emotion. I have to develop a capacity to be with the idea of being criticized or not good enough, untether it from my identity in such a way that now when situations feel threatening, I still have a choice about the behaviors I take rather than running an unconscious pattern that worked for me for 20 years, kept me safe when I was a kid. So I just kept it running in the unconscious system. So that's one example of some of the work and how it applies for me. And, and it, you know, it happens on a daily basis still. I'm fortunate to have a business partner in the firm that we have 
And, you know, we have lots of challenges that we're facing on a daily basis, again, especially given the circumstances we're in globally right now. And still those things come up about when I don't feel safe, when there's stress and pressure, I revert to first do more, do it better, be right, because that way I'll be safe. That way I'll have control. That's who I am. And having to check that, be aware of it, have a different relationship with it and ask better questions and make better choices. Uh, and that journey continues, but that would be one example I'd offer. Yeah, I can resonate with that so much. I think about the habits you describe and where you talk about asking better questions. I think of that on an internal level of, you know, as we discover who we are and even just do some of this inner child work, like, you know, going back and understanding why we do what we do. I think all of us deserve to understand why we do what we do. And it takes some of that, you know, self-inquisitive nature, just this curiosity to get to know yourself. And I think there's just so much self-hatred that sometimes blocks a lot of people. And they say, you know, it's not worth it. But at the end of the day, we all have this beautiful gift to give. We all have a gift. And when I think about, you know, what you describe as the shadow, right? And where you mentioned how so many people villainize the shadow and villainize this, I think of the little child, we make it seem so bad and like, we shouldn't feel this way. And, you know, we shame ourselves mm -hmm. again, all coming from fear, but it's, it's fascinating. Cause I think there's a lot of people living right now, Rob, that are, pushing away their, their child. They're pushing away that little boy. Like you said, you got in touch with that part of yourself. And, you know, I, I'd be very curious to see, you know, what did it take for you to do the work? Like, was it, you just woke up and you're like, okay, I'm going to do the work or how did you embark initially on this inner path? Yeah, great question. And I think it, it speaks very much to what you're saying. You know, people feel like it's not worth it sometimes because it's not yet. You know, the pain of, of growth, and I'm not going to lie, you know, you, you, I make up, know this well, this is not easy work. You know, we joke, leadership is a full contact sport. Like we're, this is heavy work. It's intense and it's emotional and it takes a tremendous capacity and a, and a discipline to be in it and to choose it. And some people don't choose it. The circumstances of their lives get to a point where the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing or the seeming, the apparent pain of changing. And I think that's the natural threshold that kind of has to get reached. And for some of us, it's the pain of like, there's a part of me that's not alive and that that's so frustrating. And for others, it's, I can't succeed in this position in my career unless I change or whatever the variation is. But I do think there is a threshold that has to get reached. And for me, it was that, and it was some of the realization that if this is the path of work that I've chosen, if this is my vocation, I can only ever be as effective with others if, I've, if I'm walking that path myself. And that my ability to be an instrument of change with and for others is a function of my willingness to change myself and to grow myself. So I, you know, the practitioners that I love and respect in this work are the ones doing the work themselves so that they can actually grow the instrument that they are in service of helping others and being a facilitator for the growth process with others. But I really do think there's that, what is the threshold that had to get reached 
Um, and for me, there was a few of those moments that that profile was a wake up call for me. Um, you know, another was experiencing a limitation with a fellow coach of mine in a, in a conversation. We're doing coursework together. And, you know, this is a grown man who looked at me and said, I don't feel safe with you. And I realized no matter what I said, no matter what I did, if I was still being critically critical of myself, he could feel that he wasn't safe. So if I didn't learn to evolve my inner game, my inner world to a place where I actually felt good with myself, I could be with me. How was I going to be with other people? That was another big wake up call. And he's, he's become a dear friend. He was uh, a partner in our first one of my first coaching courses and on the first day and in the first exercise where we're designing how to have the best working relationship together. And he called this out for me and it's, it's been such a gift. So I think that was another catalyst for me to, to realize I had lots of work still to do. What about for you, Sherry? I'm curious. I'm curious. Excuse me. What's the journey been like for you? For me, I mean, my journey is constantly evolving. I am one of six children. So I grew up the only girl with five older brothers. And I had this beautiful exposure to different personalities at a really young age. Even my father is much older. He's 89 right now. And he was a physician and he always would implement in me that age is nothing but a number. And that mindset is so important. And he was a religious man. I mean, I was brought up partially Baha'i. So there's this beautiful thing called the Baha'i faith, which is all mm-hmm. about this unity of religions. Mm-hmm. And he's from Iran. So he came over when he was 26. I got him, you know, when he was 60 and older. And then uh, my mom, you know, she is just this woman and I've seen myself in her. And I had this horrific relationship with them till I was about 16, where I had this moment of enlightenment. And it was almost like my gaze had softened. I was so mean to them. And I was this mean person. I was so mean to myself. So my journey, Rob, has really been through, you know, self-hatred and self-discovery and inner peace. It's been how I've healed my life. And looking back, like you said, it's always 2020, you know, it's so much easier looking back. And I have so much compassion for my parents and I have so much love. I just, when, when you talk about the, the breath is, the mo- is that window to the present moment, it totally is. And the breath is that bridge to understanding ourselves at the deepest level through things like yoga and meditation. I just getting still and understanding how supported we are. And you've talked about that. And I'd be curious, you know, was there ever a time that you felt you weren't supported? Like, I'd be super curious. Was there a time where you were like, this is it. I can't do this. I can't go any further. Like, did you ever have one of those quiet moments? Yeah, definitely. And I will say quickly, just thank you for sharing. I appreciate the the disclosure about your family and everything. That's I'm sure you've had quite a journey as well. Um, the, yeah, you know, the, my journey, most of my personal development journey as an adult is the reverse of that. Somewhere early on, I learned I had to do it myself, or I thought I had to do it myself. I mistakenly internalized some rule that I had to do it alone. And, uh, and really, my, my adult journey has been about undoing that, has been about realizing that I'm connected to the world around me, 
has been realizing the power of leaning into relationships. And I'm still, I've got a, you know, I've still got a long way to go. My tendency is still to put the world on my shoulders and, you know, dig in and I'll take care of it rather than what can we do together? Um, and that's still a journey for me evolving. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can sort of describe the, there was a time at a low point for me as an entrepreneur when uh, I had had to exit out of a business deal and, you know, there was, there was no money. There was, you know, there was no money. There was no hope for future. I owed money to family that I couldn't not repay. So there's this massive debt and, you know, it was a pretty dark time. And I think that was part of the time when I reinforced this idea that I've got to figure it out. There's no one else who can help. I've burned all my bridges, so better figure it out. And again, that structure served me for a long time until it was the thing getting in my way. It was the thing keeping me from connection in my life. It was the thing making people around me feel like they weren't good enough because I felt like I wasn't good enough and had to do it all by myself. And it took a few, you know, uh, lost relationships romantically for me. I had a theme of people, um, a theme of women in my life who had a, there was an echo, there was this, you know, common thread of, uh, I feel like I'm not, good enough or I'm not going to be good enough. And I realized it was what was happening inside of me being projected out onto them. Um, so that again, a wake up call about my need to do it alone out of a place of protection was now costing me the connection that I craved. And if I didn't go inside and figure out what that was all about and spend the time and do the healing work, it was going to prevent me from that connection for the rest of my life. If I remember being in a workshop, uh, and we had just done this exercise where we put, you know, I was in a team that was already revolutionary. I was in a partnership and that partnership had a project to do. And then we had gone around the room and each of us put up sticky notes on each other's projects saying how we could help this community that I was a part of. And I remember sitting down at the, ex at the end of that exercise and breaking down, looking at this sheet of paper and all the color on it, all these sticky notes from all the help I could be getting from my world that I had cut myself off from until that point. And it was, it hit me like a ton of bricks, the grief of having carried all that time, the illusion that I was alone, because I wasn't actually, there were a lot of people helping me. There were a lot of people supporting me, but I felt like I was alone. And waking up to that and, and stepping into a different kind of relationship with my world where I can help and I can be supported and that we can build real synergy, you know, like, the idea of sort of two plus two equals five is a core principle in the work that we do around relationships and teams and, and systems that there's so much more we can do together than just the sum of our parts. Um, but you're cut off from that if you live in a world where you must do it alone. So again, that's, that's one I could go really deep on, but that's what comes up for me when you ask that. Yeah, I love that. It, it really ties into being in service. And I have this mantra where sometimes I'll meditate and I'll just let everything go and I'll say, how may I serve? And I don't even know what I'm praying to. I'm just like, I'm praying to something. I'm just asking, how may I serve something? Tell me what to do. And it, I go back to the beginning of where you talked about, there's sometimes these moments where we feel completely overwhelmed 
with who am I in this moment? Like, what do I do? I can't do this, you know? And, and we're like that child again that we're trying to figure out, like, how did we get here? What am I supposed to do? You know, how do I, how am I loved here? How do I be enough? And that's really the, the, the discovery when I hear about your journey and my journey, it overlaps so much. Like I know I've constantly tried to succeed and be the best and accomplish the most and be number one. And, <clears throat> and it's all been driven out of this sense of my own lack of self-worth, you know? And when I look at it, I say, Sherry, you are enough. And like, when will you feel enough? And that's the journey that's the practice. It's love. Like love becomes the practice. And when I think about you, Rob, what's really lighting you up today? I mean, tell us, you know, I'd love to learn, like, what are you doing today? You've got so much knowledge, so much insight. Like, how are you being of service right now? Yeah, brilliant question. And I love the, even the energy of how you asked that question, Sherry. I can feel the smile on your face. I can feel the, the energy in your body. I appreciate it. Um, because yeah, I am very much lit up by the work that we're doing. I, I consider it a gift and a privilege to get to work with people who are interested in serving others better um, and how they can be more and more an instrument of service. And the vehicle through that, uh, through which we accomplish that in this particular case is leadership. Um, but really it's about working with people to be more completely themselves, to discover, as you say, their natural, their sort of inherent worthiness and then to to say okay so if that's given what could now be possible instead of living in a world where i have to earn my worth through these various strategies i've developed because when i was younger that's what i that was the rule i made up i'm enough if people like me i'm enough if i'm smarter and i have all the right answers i'm enough if i get better results than others or i do more or i achieve and instead if that conditionality doesn't exist what could then be possible? How can we be of service then? So, you know, I, I consider it a privilege, like I said, to be working with the clients that we work with and everything from, you know, I work with some solo entrepreneurs. I work with some, uh, we work with some nonprofit organizations. Um, we work with some for-profit corporate um, and, you know, everything in between. We're, we're really passionate about where can we get this work of a different kind of human-centered, life-affirming, ecosystemic, leadership where is that going to have the biggest impact downstream in the world you know where can we do that work across borders where can we build bridges across systems across industries across sectors so that we're we're both living the work on an individual level on a relational level and on a system level looking at the health of our interconnectedness and uh and both the theory of that and how that happens lights me up. The ideas and, and, you know, these are not my ideas, obviously. These are, some of these are just are absolutely ancient, but they're, they're coming to the forefront because they're needed now. What's worked for us in the same way, you know, on an individual level, we learn these patterns and structures that work for us until they don't. You know, I believe that's happening at a societal level. We've established those structures and institutions that have worked for us. And now they might be the things that are holding us back. And, you know, we're really in the, we live in the question of how can we serve the next iteration and evolution of some of those systems and structures and the people in them will be what drives the change. So doing that work at an individual level, at a relational level with partnerships and teams, and then at a system and ecosystem level, that's where the passion is. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm lucky to be doing it every day. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for being on the Quietest Moments podcast. I'd love to just see, do you have any last words that you can offer? Um, I would say, yeah, if someone's listening, I would say the, the whisper inside you that there's more that wants to come alive is true. And uh, being witnessed in that is often the, the catalyst to have it come alive. So don't hesitate to share whatever that whisper is telling you and let it come out into the world first by just sharing that and then through whatever expression it wants to find. Amazing. And where can people find you? Um, they can find us online at leadershipmasteryinc.com, leadershipmasteryinc.com. Um, that's probably the best way. We've got some stuff on there, including a little leadership manifesto about what we believe the a more peaceful, prosperous, and just world is possible, and that this idea of collective leadership is is a vehicle to help us get there. Um, so, would love it if people would check that out. And um, there's a way for you to download it and and sort of join the movement if that's something that speaks to you. So, and I want to say thank you to you, Sherry. This has been an absolute pleasure. And that is Rob Sinclair. He is such a phenomenal guy. I really, really enjoyed my conversation with him. I know he just offers so much wisdom. He's gone through a lot. He's learned a lot. And he shares a lot on this episode. So I know I had so much fun with this. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you're following the Quietest Moments podcast because I'm going to be bringing you insights in addition to stories just like this one every single week. Thanks so much, guys. I'll talk to you again soon.